With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom. Simply visit www.realitycheck.radio forward slash donate to make a difference today. RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. A lot has been said about Gaza, Israel. We've tried to, in our own way, sort of get an idea from world experts and uh, uh, opinion leaders, whatever you want to call them, uh, as to how we should think about this conflict, uh, given that there's so much noise around propaganda, um, horrible images, and people who are sort of uh, are talking very loudly from one side or the other. What better way to actually speak with people who know what it's like to live in that area and in that context? So I want to welcome Katrina mitchell Coltab from <laughs> Old Jerusalem. Did I get the surname okay, Katrina? Perfect, perfect. Wow, okay. <laughs> that doesn't happen often. <laughs> so your origin is Old Jerusalem. Yes, that's what my family's from um, a town or an area, a suburb called Katamon, which luckily retained its name. Um, it's a very expensive uh, suburb in, is well, what is called Israel now, and um, it's very sought after. Very expensive. Okay. Can you think of a New Zealand equivalent? It's like Hearn Bay or something. <laughs> something like that, yes. <laughs> um, okay. And Anas Shatat is with us as well. Anas, thank you for being part of this. Thanks for having me, Paul. And your Gaza origin. Yes. Um, I come from Gaza. Um, uh, come from a, from the east part of Khan Yunus. I'm also married to a Gazan woman. She's from the northern parts of Gaza. Okay, i got to ask, how do you find yourself at the bottom of the world in little old New Zealand then? Both of you. Uh, both of you. Yeah, well, it's, it's really hard. I mean, being thousands of kilometres away from uh, my extended family, you know, with more than 100 people or, um, and more between me and my wife, with no information, lack of you know, lack of ability to contact or check out, check on anyone, um, watching the news and how things unfold very quickly, um, it's 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 really overwhelming. Especially you know, these days we're we're literally glued to the TV, just trying to see what's what's happening next, or you know, or even see faces of people that we know just to check on them and make sure that they're okay. Wow, and Katrina. Yes. How, how, did, well, how I, did you wind up here? Um, I've lived in many different countries and um, my mother passed away suddenly and I decided to have a look uh, around and see what country I would like to visit next. And I was doing a, a show at the Victorian National Gallery in Melbourne and I met this woman from Urunui in Taranaki and we got into trouble because we spoke for about an hour when we, I should have been doing something else. And then I went to visit her when my mum passed away and I landed in Wellington and I thought, Oh, I like this place. And then I applied to take on um, many events for the Wellington city council and put on big events uh, for the summer city and spring festival. And I did some acting work. And so I came over for that. And then I met someone three months before I was about to leave Okay, a Kiwi. He is a Kiwi, and uh, we suddenly found ourselves pregnant with twins, and oh. so we stopped. We yeah. stopped over. 
Yeah, that certainly changes the game. <laughs> All right. Well, like I say, great to um, have you on RCR this morning. Um, yeah, you. you just mentioned, Anna, keeping an eye on all all the news, all, you know, the, the images, I suppose. And it's it, it really brings it home when you mention that you're looking for people that you know. Yes. Um, I mean, just to give people a, a feel of what it's, you know, it feels like being in Gaza. Um, so Gaza is... Um, as a Gaza Strip, it's actually a very small area. It's 365 kilometers uh, with nearly 2.2 million people who live there. So to make people sort of like imagine what that looks like, um, just closer to what's in New Zealand, if you think of Lower Hutt, that's almost 376 square kilometers. And the population of Auckland um, and Wellington, Wellington combined is almost 2.2 million. So it's just you've got that many people living in a very tight area. Um, yeah, I mean, there's 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 a lot of struggles that have been going on for years. I remember when I was, you know, used, used to be a kid, um, used to go there for a holiday with my, my parents and my family. Um, we, we've always, you know, suffered from, you know, the... Uh, the power cuts, um, the access to fresh water. Um, I mean, you know, for any average person, you know, every everything's taken for granted, electricity and water. You go flick a switch, the lights come on. That's not the case there. It's been getting worse and worse over the years. Um, Gaza itself does not have capacity capacity to produce its own power. Um, it, it's, it ports 60% out of its uh, power from Israel, which, which they control uh, that. Um, fresh water, the fresh water is actually quite limited. I mean, there was a study conducted in um, 2021 by the UN and they, they've, they've identified that 97% of the water supplies in Gaza are actually unfit for, for human consumptions. And on top of that, 26% of the diseases that, you know, um, that are, you know, people suffer from in Gaza are actually caused by the water. Um, so most of the water is actually can heavily contaminated with salts. Um, it's heavily contaminated even with you know uh, pollutants, um, and it's something you know you can't deal with. You don't have access to expand your your infrastructure because there's limited spare parts and equipment that are even allowed into. Because they they control the supply; of those is controlled and rationed. Probably, uh, I'm thinking Correct. by Israel, and of course, the citizenry of Israel would never tolerate substandard infrastructure facilities like that, I'm guessing. Yeah, that is correct. That is correct. So, um, yeah, I mean, this has been the case for for, for many years. Uh, the, the, the siege of Gaza has been getting worse and worse for the last um, 17 years. And uh, just, just to give a snapshot of uh, a child who was born in 2007 in Gaza has actually experienced six wars to date. So can you imagine the amount of trauma and, and stress that, um, you know, a child has been through um, for the last, you know, for the last 16 years? And that's, that's another thing that, you know, brings us to the amount of um, stress and, and, you know, and hopelessness, if, if, if I may say, that the people have been uh, going through for the last years. And... Being from far, you know, being far away, watching all of that for so many years, and um, not being able to do much really is is something that you know puts weight on my shoulders because 
I, you know, I see my my people just suffering out there, and not being, you know, um, they're being limited or, or or denied access of basic needs, and you know, watching the international community um, trying to, you know, improve the situational conditions um, from within inside Gaza and from outside um, as an observer, it's it's not. We we're not we were not actually seeing any any light at the end of that tunnel, uh, which is an unfortunate situation. And now this war is just making things really really worse for everyone. Katrina, when you think about uh, how the people of Israel feel towards, well, you know, Gazans, uh, people in the occupied territory communities, is it a dislike? I they just don't like the they don't like you or they don't like the people. What sort of mindset is it? Do you think? Well, that's definitely a part of it. I mean, you can see that from the holidays. Oh, sorry, the uh, celebrations that online the the fact that their number one song is about uh, genocide and killing Palestinians on the charts at the moment, um, and the really? and the you know the hate yes the hate speech that you see coming online. Um, but there's always two sides to every story, and you know there are many Israelis that do not agree at all with what is going on. And you have some fantastic human rights um, organizations like Bet Selim, which document and um, are a, a real source of inspiration for us because they're standing up saying, no, what is going on? And the horror is not okay. But, you know, as you have uh, a very large IDF force made up of civilians, because it's compulsory for them to go into the army, um, many of them start at school age. Uh, ha- their history that they, they are told at school age is very much about um, Palestinians being seen as subhuman, as uh, trying to take their land, as wanting to kill them. It's not an open history where you actually have a look at the facts from 1948. Um, and you have to, to be able to do what the IDF do. And you're talking about young people in their late teens and early 20s. You cannot, I, I couldn't imagine a New Zealander being given a gun, going into the army and shooting children or pushing, hitting tying them up, raping them, whatever, that only comes from uh, a view, an internal view of the person that you are hurting as subhuman, as someone that you must hate. So there is definitely, without doubt, um, an element of hatred from the Israeli population. Um, And then you have, obviously, within Israel, many who are abhorred by what is going on. And they don't, you have the demonstrations that are coming out daily as well and they don't agree with it so there's a mixture do we know the proportion of it though well i don't so i wouldn't like to say but from the polls that are going out and i don't know how reliable these polls are the majority of the population agree with this genocide and they want it to continue so recently there was a poll in israel and the overwhelming majority said no you need to continue we need to wipe them out completely but I don't know whether that, you know, Israel and the IDF and the Israel government is lies about so many different things. You just don't know what is true and what isn't when they release their information. I want to uh, ask um, about uh, if it's possible to actually, the mission that they've embarked on in Gaza, if it's actually a, a winnable mission. But you, Katrina, mentioned the, the um, exclusivity or the value of the suburb. Um at the start of our chat that you're from is that something that's become 
is that occupied is that how you see it occupied territory that's become valuable because it's a nice place to live yeah they actually the gentrified sort of yeah the irony about it is it's an expensive place because they the um israeli uh um uh, real estate they advertise beautiful arab houses arab houses oh, are okay. one of the most sought after houses in israel That's interesting um i know it's 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 ironic so it's a it's always been a beautiful suburb very leafy um the people that live there um you know had some money so they built really beautiful places and it's very coveted now so it's it's an expensive suburb okay to gaza um i mean i think uh anna's explaining it like lower hut with 2.3 million or the Hutt Valley with 2.3 million people in it is a very good way to visualize it for New Zealanders. Is it, when it comes to Hamas, the Israeli side says they're terrorists. That's it. They're just terrorists. Who are they? Because, of course, people will say one person's terrorist is another person's freedom fighter, and, you know, um, conflicts like this aren't sort of clean affairs. So who are they? Well, Paul, this is a question that actually should be addressed to um, politicians who would be in a better position to answer it. But again, being not uh, on the ground there and, and just with the information that I know, um, it's it's from the people. It's a group of the people in the end of the day. Um, as you, as you rightfully said, you know, someone's terrorist is someone that, someone else's um, freedom fighter. Um, the problem, and I've got, a, I've actually got a serious problem with this question. It's not about you, but it's it's about you know the narrative that's been going out in the media, and it's it's so much focused on the conflict and so much focused on on you know the uh, the current situation, which which only makes people see the pixels. But what we need to do is just actually zoom out of the picture and and look at. You know, look at it from far and look at the, the beginning of the story and how this is all unfolded to get us where we are today. It's, it's not, you know, it's not about ha- having to, you know, specifically talk about a specific group of people or specific, um, you know, uh, like Hamas or PLO or Fatah or whatever, whatever they are. It's about, well, why did we get to this situation is, is the right question that should be asked. Because, because the problem is um, there's a lot of emphasis and focus on, on a specific group of people and what they are actually doing on the ground. But the, big, the right question should be, why did we get this far? Um, I mean, there's been a lot of attempts to even avoid getting to this point. Um, you know, there, there was the, uh, the Arab um, uh, Peace Initiative back in 2001 by, by King Abdullah. Uh, that was actually uh, widely accepted by all the Palestinian parties. But Israel just, just refused it and just sort of like, no, we're not interested. So um, the question is, why did we reach this far? And, and this is where the international community should actually, you know, take responsibility and be able to, um, you know, uh, help achieve um, giving the Palestinians the freedom they deserve. Go, Katrina. 
I just want to add that for people who are confused about Hamas, um, it was founded in Gaza in 1987 uh, by a fellow who um, was actually disabled. Um, and he started it in the Palestinian territories um, initially as an organization to help the Palestinians. So it, there's two parts to Hamas. You've got the political part and the structural part that gives out money and helps with building, and then you've got the military wing of Hamas. Um, when it started, it... it um, it didn't have enough money. And funnily enough, and most people do know this now, it was actually funded. It was The funding was helped by Israel. So Israel helped to fund Hamas in the late 80s because the PLO, not the Palestinian Authority, but the PLO, which was before the Palestinian Authority, um, they were getting very popular and they were able to, um, they were growing. Um, and Israel was very worried that this would create a cohesive Palestinian state. And so what is the historical rule book? You go in there, you fund an organization that could possibly uh, break apart what is a growing solid community to fracture it and make it less healthy. And so they funded Hamas, but then Hamas got a, out of control for their control and the military wings split off and joined into Syria and Iraq and a few other countries. Um, and then the administrative side of Hamas state. So Hamas is uh, its not a state organization. It's an independent organization. And it is uh, there to fight Israel. It is against the occupation. And the most important thing I think that people need to recognize here is there's a lot of uh, um, misinformation from the Israel, if Israeli side um, comparing Hamas and ISIS. They're completely two different organizations. No, they're conflated all the time, I've noticed. Yes. Yeah, and they hate each other. Let me be honest. They absolutely hate each other. The reason there's a huge difference is Hamas is there to fight uh, an occupier. It is an occupied people fighting against an occupier, and its primary, primary area is within Palestine. ISIS is against the West, and it will go anywhere it needs to go around the world to do its job. So there's a huge, huge difference between them. And it's quite ironic that people are calling terrorist Hamas, terrorist Hamas, terrorist Hamas amongst and among the biggest organization, which is Israel, a state organization, a country that has overshadowed what Hamas has done in regards to terrorism over 75 years uh, in light years. Like it, it's it's very ironic. There seems to be a lot of name calling on one side, but then whenever you talk about Israel, it's always look. It must abide by international law. It must abide by international law. That's what we hear all the time. We don't hear other words uh, being used for Israel in the same way that you hear for Hamas, and yet you're presented with an abhorrent, brutal history for over seventy years with over a thousand resolutions against it through the UN Security Council, et cetera, et cetera. Um, is this, I mean, you can't ignore the, the, you mentioned ISIS, and I think that's a religious fight, isn't it, in yes. the end? Um, and obviously the Jewish state is, well, it's a Jewish state. So fundamentally there's a, there, there's a, um, a dynamic of a, some kind of religious fundamental conflict that goes back, you know, into the mists of time. Is that part of this as well? Because that that explains this endless motivation, doesn't it, on all sides. How relevant is that when we're talking about this current conflict? There's definitely a lot to do with that. 
depending on the groups that you're talking with. So Hamas is uh, an Islamic organization, um, as well as Israel representing Judaism and then um, between between both of them. Uh, you do have the issue being, though, you'll have Orthodox Jews who live in Israel and completely support the state. But then you have Orthodox Jews that live in Israel and don't support the state because mm. it's not fundamentally within the Torah. It's not what they believe they're supposed to do. It's not God's will. So while um, while religion plays a part for some of it, it, I don't think that this is a religious war at all. It's never been a religious war. Jews, Palestinians, the Jews were Palestinians, Jews, Christians, and uh, those who believed who um, believed in Islam. We all lived together very happily. There was no problem before 1947. Um, it was when Jews arrived from Europe with different um, ideologies based on Zionism that problems began to arise. Um, so, yes, it has a part to play, but it's not a big part. Um, the the um, Israeli, from Prime Minister on down, IDF, um, seem, seem to be very confident that they can sort of, you know, cleanse Gaza of the enemy as they see it. Given it's so densely packed, and that uh, any you know, firing anything is going to destroy buildings and and kill people because of of that density. I mean, it, is what they claim they can do even possible? Anas, you'd have a view on that. Well, I mean, first of all, um, the Israeli army claimed to be the most moral, moral, and ethical army in the world. That's 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 their motto. That's what they keep claiming. Well, let's let's look at their actions. You know, we don't have to go and, and look at back at the seventy six years um, of you know examples. Let's look at the, the example we've got. We had for the last sixty days, um, where we got nearly twenty thousand, more than twenty thousand people killed. Um, you know, more than forty percent of them are kids. So the question I have: Well, are these the acts of a moral army? That, that, that's the first question. Um, they are claiming that they are <clears throat> attacking, killing militants. Well, the numbers tell otherwise, and that's what even the UN. That's why, um, you know, the UN General Counsel actually today, um, Antonio Guterres, he actually um, invoked Article 99, which is actually quite concerning because what he believes is happening is that the humanitarian catastrophe and the collapse of the humanitarian system in Gaza is 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 you know is is beyond beyond a return point. And, and that's that's the question. I mean, it's just the people who actually are paying the price on the ground. It's the people's misery, the people's suffering. Uh, that that's, That is the achievement of the Israeli Defense Army, unfortunately. Um, they can claim whatever they want, but act, act, actions speak louder, and we can see those on the ground. Yeah, but if you're going on a mission that is ne- you can never actually bring to an end, you'll never get everyone. You, you, it's impossible, it seems to, and they even claim that, you know, even the civilians could be terrorists. So, you know, um, in a place like that, how can you um, uh, differentiate? In the end, you just end up flattening a place, don't you? That's the inevitability of it. Uh, yes, and not only that. Um, they're claiming that this is the, well, officially they're claiming that the goal is to get rid of their, you know, their opponent or, or the terrorists, as they call them. But 
realistically, they're flattening the place. They are, um, they're actually forcing people out of their houses and lands. They're forcing people. They're trying to push people south. I mean, my family have been in the south all along, and I can tell you from week one, there were bombings in the south. So the narrative or the, you know, whatever they used to claim south being a safe place, that's not true. So, uh, most of my family, um, sorry, most of my wife's family members, they, they, they didn't leave the north because, and, and they actually spring a lot of narratives or, or you know, false stories that uh, the north is empty. That's not true because the small group who actually were forced to, to, to flee the north, um, some of them actually were subject to um, arrests. I mean, there are, there are stories of arrests that have been made. Some of them were actually killed. Um, so that's why a lot of people decided, well, we're going to be dead anyway, so we might just stay at home. And that's why we still hear about casualties up in the north. Um, this is a displacement. It, it is a genocide. Um, it is ethnical cleansing because it's only directed at Palestinians. Um, you know, you, the point earlier talking about religion. Well, this is not about religion only. I mean, it's not only religion because it's not about Islam and Jews. But there are Christians in Gaza. That have you know that they've been subject to 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 uh, to bombardments. I mean, the third oldest church in, in the world is, is actually in Gaza, and that was actually bombed. Uh, so yeah, and people were killed in you know within the church. So the question is, what they are setting up goals that they're claiming is what they're trying to achieve, but looking at actions on the ground, that's not the case. People are being killed on purpose and being forced to displace and leave Gaza. And the question I have, we've seen this movie before, 1948, people left parts of Palestine, they circled Palestine, on, you know, thinking that they'll go back. They never got back. So the, the question I have to the international community, you know, this is being repeated again. It's, it's you know, it's, it's, it's the new 2023 edition. You know, why it's happening again and the whole world is watching. Well, actually, I had three of my family members killed in extended family members killed in that church in Gaza, Christian family members. Um, and in regards to Hamas, there are 30,000 Hamas fighters. Out of 30,000 Hamas fighters, Israeli uh, sources have said they've killed between one and 2,000 only. And I think uh, part of it is Hamas because it was a, a, an embarrassing moment for Israel, for Hamas to have done what it's done so thoroughly, even though they were aware they were going to do it. And within the Israeli community, um, one life is like a million lives. They're, they're, they're absolutely furious if anything goes wrong because Israel hasn't been challenged. It's not used to being challenged. And so this is a really important political move by Netanyahu and his current government because the tide can turn against them very, very quickly. So going into Gaza, partly, yes, they'd love to get rid of Hamas, but they know that's completely impossible. The Israeli military is used to bombing and bullying you know, women and children. At the moment, sources, there's lots of different, you know, information coming out, but they're not doing very well, the actual forces on the ground. And if they've only killed about 2,000, up to 2,000, they don't even think it's it's that much of, of Hamas fighters, they're actually not going to get them through the buildings. They know that. They know that there are tunnels under the ground and that's where they are, but they're yeah. taking this opportunity to kill civilians. And they've already laid a stone in the north of Gaza, saying this is our new settlement for Israel. Okay. Yeah, I think so, they're talking about flooding those tunnels with seawater, is what I've been. I, they would do much more than that, I can tell you that. Anas. 
So as an engineer, um, I actually laughed when I saw that um, in, in the news line because it's it's like technically speaking, you know, you, you're trying to drain the Mediterranean to try and flood all those tunnels. Um, plus, you know, um, they, they're guessing where things are. They only know as much as they know. Uh, the type of the sword is actually not going to help out much because, you know, you start flooding the tunnels and, you know, some of them might actually collapse in the process. And and then if, if in theory, like, I mean, in theory, it's, it's and practically it's impossible. But if they even, you know, have succeeded doing whatever they're doing, they're going to just introduce a catastrophe for everyone, including themselves, because you're going to just have a big swamp and, and everyone's going to be stuck in it. So um, I'm not sure who came up with that idea, but... Yeah, I mean, I would say as an engineer, that's that's nearly impossible. And Israel's got the best artificial intelligence it's using right now, which is huge in the media at the moment about the ethical implications of that and surveillance that it's selling right now. So it's using its its new surveillance that it, it technology, and this technology it knows. It can recognize faces with all the cameras that are around, the drones that it puts around. It knows exactly the age, the sex, uh, the um, um, uh, who's in which house, which building, what they do, when they come, when they go. So they are very, very well equipped to succinctly and very clearly attack a target without civilian casualties, lots of civilian casualties. And we've seen rockets coming down and reducing massive housing units to absolute rubble. And anyone with any intelligence can understand it's got nothing to do with Hamas when you're attacking camps, when you're attacking schools, when you're attacking hospitals, when you're killing journalists so they can't explain what's going on and show the truth, um, that it's about civilian casualties. And 75% of those casualties, and we're reaching over 21,000, are women and children. They're not Hamas fighters. And it's a disgrace and it's insulting to humanity to talk about human shields and having to kill these civilians. Under international law, it doesn't matter whether you have fighters in a room. It's proportionality. Are you going to kill 30 civilians for one soldier? Absolutely not. But I can guarantee that most of those housing units and families that were killed, we haven't had reports that Hamas fighters were amongst the dead. We have had reports of 31 members of a family being wiped out. We've had 26 generations, 26 families, sorry, of generations completely wiped off the face of this earth. They will never be again. And that number is increasing all of the time. That's got nothing to do with Hamas. That's to do with genocide and cleansing the area of the Palestinians, as Israel has cited since 1948 by its various um, uh, leaders across the decades. Um, just to add to that, to what Katrina said as well, I mean, the fact that, you know, in Gaza at the moment, there's only one um, functional hospital in the south uh, is quite distressing. Uh, the limited access to, um, you know, supplies for hospitals. Um, the, there was a statement that was given by Dr. Um, Abu Sitta, who was, who was a British uh, surgeon. Um, he he was there on the ground um, until he left uh, recently. And in his statement, he, he gave horrible stories, you know, about um, the, the overwhelming situation that, you know, they had to deal with. Um, so the question I have 
if if these if these if the objective of this is to get rid of a, a selective small group of people, then why target hospitals? Why destroy all the hospitals? Why limit the access of fuel supplies to Gaza, which you know the UN has offered to monitor and control that, and the Israeli armies are simply rejected, and they they are still rationing the amount of fuel that they're letting in, and that's still you know it's not getting through to the northern parts of Gaza where, you know, there's a skeleton sort of like medical uh, staff trying to keep the people that come to them alive uh, on, on basic limited uh, supplies. I mean, t- just just to give you an example, you know, um, when they ran out of supplies, they started using vinegar and, and um, dish detergent as a disinfectant. Uh, but they even ran out of those. Uh, when, when people, you know, they need a cast, um, they started using cardboard um, as an alternative solution. But then you ran out of that as well because there's nothing except destruction and, and, and you know and, and damage everywhere and you, you can't you can't have access to anything else. Um, so one thing that actually touched touched me quite really really um, in the statement was when COVID happened, um, which was not far away, you know, and the the crisis that happened in Italy, you know. You know the, the major and big waves that started over uh, Italy. Um, the world was actually in shock, and and you know because when they started seeing the amount of of people that are getting sick, and then the the medical staff at, at Italy, they had to make this the heart wrenching decision of who who needs to live and who needs to die, because they couldn't treat everyone, and the whole world was struck back then. You know, that, you know, in, in this modern world, this is what we have to deal with and how we can't cope. Well, guess what? The same thing happened in Gaza, and it's still happening. When, when you have, you know, medical staff who are actually working around the clock, limited supplies, and they get this overwhelming number of casualties that are being brought in, and they get to a point where they have to decide who gets a priority because sometimes, you know, well, this case is hopeless. You know, this case, well, we don't have any solution. We can try something. But this, these are the hard, the hard decisions that the medical staff have to face on a daily basis. And the question I have, again, why does, you know, if the, the most moral army in the world claims that, you know, they are ethical and moral, why are these happening? Why, why the people of Palestine and people of Gaza specifically are being subject to such conditions? It's and the, I think it was 1.7 or 1. Point, sorry, 1.7 or 1.9%. That's 1%. Less than 2% of the vaccinations were given to Palestinians. That might Israel. actually be a good thing. <laughs> that's <laughs> yeah, another true, story. Don't want true. to get into that. They might have dodged but, the bullet there, literally. I think, I think what might be interesting for, for uh, listeners is that as a New Zealand citizen, um, some of my stories of going into back home, um, you would think that perhaps there would be some respect for women in particular. But when I go to um, any of the passport offices, usually the questions that I'm asked is when did I last have sex? When did my period come? How many men have I slept with? And very intimate questions. Well, to- what? Sorry, what? 
Yes, these are the questions I'm usually asked very loudly so that people behind are listening. And you know that you'll... To humiliate you. Yes, and you know that you'll get yourself in trouble if you make fun of it or you don't try and answer it. You've just got to suck it up and take it. Yes, and I have been taken aside once. Well, I've been asked to take clothes off in front of people for strip searches, um, not in private, and where I have been manhandled very, very rudely. Um, And I've also been taken aside um, into for no reason because I'm Palestinian with my New Zealand passport um, into a room which was locked and there was only one small window at one end and a line of chairs at the back uh, and a line of chairs down one side. And I sat in that chair and that was a five-hour wait. I wasn't allowed water. I wasn't allowed any food. And I just arrived from New Zealand. So I was exhausted. And every time I fell asleep, the door would burst open. They'd grab a chair and they'd throw it toward my direction. Wow. Um, and so this is nothing compared to what people under occupation um, actually have to deal with. So I've been in a situation with my family living in Ramallah with my three young children under five years old, where because we don't have enough water, water is restricted. It's taken for the settlements and then we have to pay for our water. And it's also illegal for us to collect water. We're not allowed to collect water. When you say collect water, I mean, I can imagine how you collect it. You'd put you can't put buckets. You can't put anything out to collect water. I can't believe that. It's not allowed. I mean, I'm not and, saying you're not telling no, us the truth, but I just can't. I mean, what? Yeah, it's not allowed. And so I could only bath my children every few days. You'd try to wipe them down, but you could only bath them every few days or you'd run out of water. And when it's really hot or really cold, they, they cut off the electricity all the time anyway. You just don't know when it's going to come on. You don't know when it's going to come off. But they love doing it when it's the hottest and coldest day. So, so, so it's, like, it's it's about wearing people down. It's about yes, kind of mental torture. Um, these are age-old techniques probably. Yes. Children but... can't walk to school anymore in the West Bank because they there are illegal settle, settlers. So you're talking about occupied areas. Occupied When you're saying occupied West Bank, we're talking about an illegal occupation, a, f- a force that's one of the, the most equipped in the world coming into somebody else's country and taking control illegally and then subjecting them to the most horrific abuse. You know, we're petrified. You, Your house can be entered by the Israel army or police at any time. Right. And they usually like to come around at two or three in the morning, burst in, go through, throw your stuff outside if they decide to. And they like to take 12 or 13 year old boys and older boys. They handcuff them in front of you. They put blindfolds on them and then they take them to an unnamed location or to a police station and you as a parent are not allowed to be there there's no parental guidance there's no lawyers there's nothing and so there's a a lot of cases coming out at the moment um, of children that are raped in these prisons Um, in fact i just if i may can i read you something go so this is a case that's come out recently from A.S. Silwan. He is 13 years old. Um, at 4 a.m., he heard a knock at the door. The family, and this is also this is from the UN Office of the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs, and it's totally been verified. You can look it up. Um, at 4 a.m., he heard a knock at the door. The family thought they were coming to demolish the house. The soldiers said they were coming to arrest the, one of the sons 
of the father, and if they didn't open the door, they would throw tear gas into the house. The soldiers told the father that he, that one of his sons, which was Silvan, was throwing stones and he would be arrested. They broke in, grabbed the boy, pulled him from his bed. He wasn't allowed to put on shoes or clothes. And they took him to the police station unaccompanied. And they asked him to admit to throwing stones. And in his own words, and these are quotation marks, at first I wouldn't admit to anything. Whenever I looked away, he slapped me in the face. He kept asking me and I kept denying. He kept blowing cigarette smoke into my eyes, grabbed my shoulders, squeezed hard, and then threw me hard against a wall. And my nose began to bleed. Then he told me to kneel down. I replied that I only kneeled to the creator. He kicked me in my right inner thigh. And as I sat there, they toasted cheese and bread, um, asked if I wanted any, and then threw hot cheese onto my arm. I won't go into anything else because it's not appropriate on this program. Okay, so my next question was going to be, if you treat people in this way and and uh, unless you you know, made reference earlier to, um, you know, people born since 2007, they're coming up, what, 16 years of age now. I'm doing the math. I hope I'm right. Um, so they, they have had a way of being ever since day one. Surely if you, you want to resolve this in, in any way, um, you know, that by carrying on in this way, you're just going to generate future armies, of angry, resenting fighters, essentially. Yeah. Why, why, why go there? Uh, I think Elon Musk said, and you know he's usually pretty onto it, but whatever. That um, what Israel needed to do was show an epic act of kindness, not the opposite, and that might start something new. Obviously, that's not going to happen. But if you're going to keep generating recruits on mass ongoing this never ends well let me put it this way the palestinians have been suffering from uh what is called the state of israel which to me is a bunch of bullies to be honest i'm undermining dehumanizing palestinians for so long um they treat us or look at us as um next to nothing um, I'll share a personal story um, to, to the listeners. Um, my grandfather, who's my mother's father, was killed when she was young. She was eight years old. Um, the Israelis killed him. Um, he was a school teacher, but he had a revolutionary view. And back then, I'm talking 50 plus years ago, that was a taboo. I mean, you're not, you're not even supposed to think about these things or speak about these things. So they killed him. They went into his house in front of his wife and kids. They killed him. My mom saw it all. She said he, he you know, she, she saw all of this, an eight-year-old eight kid. And then my grandmother tried to get to the nearest police station thinking, you know, I'll just talk to the police. They just laughed at her and said, just go home. You know, like there's nothing to do for you. I can say, you know, um, if you speak to any Palestinian, within the, the, their family, you know, whether it's the close family or the extended family, they had someone who has actually been killed, uh, suffered from injury, um, mentally was traumatized from Israel's practices over the years. You are right in your comment there earlier that 
when when you see all this um, behavior, treatments, uh, the bullying that's been happening for years, um, the mental stress that you're being exposed to, what are you going to think of the others? What are you going to think of the other party or the other, you know, the opponent, if you want to call it? You know, you will never, ever even accept or, or think for a second that that individual or that even country or state, if you want to call it, will actually give you 1% of justice. So people will only think of one way of, of getting their rights, which is fighting for it, you know, in any means possible. Um, I'm not saying that, you know, we need to advocate for, for violence, but let's look at, at the other side of, of things. You know, let's look at the peaceful process. Um, has anything been achieved for the last, you know, 20, 30 plus years? Has there anything that's, you know, improved even the living conditions of, of Gazans or, or even the West Bank? I mean, in the West Bank, um, this, the settlers are acting, you know, this is a different story out there. You know, the settlers, you know, they, they, they feel entitled to everything and anything. You know, they, they just, you know, they're roaming around with, with guns. Um, they have the right, you know, they shoot to kill, no questions asked. I mean, if, if, you, if you lose a family member who's been shot by a settler, I mean, who do you go and complain to? But on the, so I think on the other hand, however, if you meet Palestinians, we are the most beautiful, we're the most kind, we're the most giving people. And for people that have um, been through so much, you will see even pictures of, of families in Gaza when they're making their breakfast or you come up to them, they'll have a smile and they'll say, you'll say, how are you doing? They'll say, Alhamdulillah, we're okay. We're okay. We're fine. Mm. We're okay. Mm. And we've learned, we were supposed to do this never again. Now this is supposed to be a never again world and it's not a never again world. And we have seen the trauma and the possibilities of a people that have been through trauma and what you could possibly do to another people. And we don't want to ever, ever, ever do that again. And I, I think you'll find that while most Palestinians have been through this trauma, we could not possibly treat anyone the way that we have been treated. It's just not in our DNA. It's not what we want. We put the children first. Children are very important in our culture. And like uh, the Native American Indians, we love, they have a thing called the children's fire. And when you come down to discuss what you want in your future as a people, um, there's a fire that's lit and that represents the child and that child means the future. It means the animals. So any, any decision that you make has to be a decision that is going to positively affect your future generation. And we're very aware of that. And so any decision that is made has to be for our children and our children's children. Violence never wins, never and we know that from the bottom of our hearts from sent from decades long we want peace we want to be treated like human beings we want to be equal under the law like everybody else and can we please have our home it, half of it's been stolen more than half of it's been stolen in 1948 and we're asking to be left alone to be able to have our own country our own so that's the two state yes solution well, is it the two-state solution, it. because even though everyone says at this point there is no, it's just not going to happen because of what Israel's doing on purpose, it's impossible to think with the way Israel is reacting and the horror and violence that we that you're witnessing, and how much Israelis 
dislike Palestinians, do you really think Palestinians trust Israel to treat them as an equal citizen under Even law? Even if there were two states? If there were two states uh, and we had our own country, we it look, it depends on how much the international community really want this. Because it's it's we've been left for dead by everybody, including Arab countries. We've been absolutely left on our own and used as pawns in a game with the international countries. So we have nothing. We have no money. The Palestinian economy is dead. You know, Gaza is raised to the ground. So we rely on and will rely on international money. And our problem is the European problem. After the Holocaust, it wasn't our fault. It, it's a European issue that was dumped on our doorstep. And while we were happy to live side by side with Jews, that's not the issue. It, it, that wasn't what happened. We weren't welcome in the areas that we lived in. And so we need help in order to let have that two-state solution if it was going to become a reality, which we're hoping it will. That's what New Zealand government has signed up to a two-state solution, and the way that our leaders are speaking is appalling at the moment because they are not being honest. Anyone that says Israel has a right to self-defense is actually telling a lie because under international law, when you are an occupier entering into another country's territory, you do not have the right to self-defense. This is international law speaking. Palestine, Palestinians under Section 51 of the UN Charter have a right to self-defense. No one is saying this. Why isn't Luxon? Why isn't Hipkins saying, yes, Palestinians have a right to self-defense. They're going through genocide at the moment. What they're saying is Israel does, but that's actually a lie. It's not true. Um, and we would like clarification as a community and make sure they are honest about what they're saying. Um, and New Zealand itself, the government, it has two obligations. It's got the Erga Omnis obligation under international law, which basically means that they are required by us as a state and a part of the UN to stop genocide or step in when genocide is occurring. And it also signed recently, which is really important, it's called the Scope and Application of Principle of uh, Universal Jurisdiction. And this is something that we brought up the other day. Israel recognize, sorry, New Zealand recognizes that universal jurisdiction is a principle of international law and provides a legal basis for states to prosecute and punish the most serious crime of international concern. Um, this includes such crimes are particularly offensive to the international community as a whole. This is New Zealand writing. This is New Zealand law writing. Australia, Canada and New Zealand have recognized universal jurisdiction over the most serious international crimes such as genocide, crimes against humanity, war crimes, slavery, torture, and piracy. So under law, their own law as well, they are required to stand up and do something, and they haven't done it yet. So they are breaking the law. They are not following through with their international obligations, and neither are many of the other member states. And this is a serious issue for us because if New Zealand wants to side with America, and they want to side with Israel, then they're putting themselves in a pretty dangerous situation. Do you think we want to do it or feel that we don't have much of a choice? Because we know we know that the US applies heavy pressure. It's, well, Amer uh, New Zealand doesn't have that much that much um 
trade with Israel, it's not actually going to lose much at all. As something yeah, like but 30, we're five eyes with the. Um... You are five eyes, but then you have a lot. New Zealand has a lot more to lose by siding with a, a battle that's going to be lost in the future and one that is not. Un, you know, it, it's immoral. It's 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 awful. It's uh, New so. Zealand... Do you think those our leaders then have been captured by the propaganda? I think so. I really think so. And I think politics is now not something that it, you know, it's always had a dirty word. But if you look at where politics has gone in the last 10 years, it's all about money. It's all about greed. It's all about how you can personally, you know, get a leg up. It's not about the things that matter to the people, which is, you know, their own safety, their own well-being, you know, moral values, you know, humanitarian laws. If that was the case, they would have stepped in weeks ago. You don't need any more of a horrific situation to stand up and say enough when you've got children being killed. And the fact that this is the first time New Zealand hasn't stood up with its beautiful historical um, – in the past, it's done the most amazing things. It's got a, a really good reputation amongst the international I, I can, I can tell you, Katrina, we've lost our way. Okay, We have. I'm 60 years old. I've been around for a while. I know how it used to be. I know the things that we used to fight for and yes. sort of punching above our weight and all that sort of stuff. We're not that anymore. I'm sorry to say. Maybe individuals are. The part of the culture might still be, but yeah. I think that I think I love New Zealand. I love their citizens, and I think the citizens are amazing. I mean, whether you agree with with what people say, you know, or believe in the fact that you had, um, you know, groups going to demonstrate in front of Parliament when it came to COVID, whether you agree with that or not, by the by, the fact is that New Zealanders have a fighting spirit and they do stand up for justice. They do stand up for what's right. They have a history of doing that. They have stood up in this situation and they haven't been heard. And I think that's a real issue. But at our leadership level, yes, it's, it's so limp. It's so wet compared to how it used to be. You know, I mean, we had, we had um, back in the day, our Minister of Defence on a frigate off Muraroa to tell the French that, hey, we don't like this, and we have an offensive weapon with a, a senior um, political figure on it to drive home the message. We'd never do that now. Such a shame. Look, we're coming up on time. Um, boy, <clears throat> I don't think we can solve the world's problems in, in one sort of chat, but any thoughts on how this can if it ever could be, resolved, what needs to happen? I'll, uh, I'll just quote the, um, the Deputy Secretary General for the Humanitarian Affairs at the United Nations. Um, he said the people of Gaza are living in a circle of death, destruction and diseases. This needs to stop today, immediately. And it could, this right? It, it could stop today. It could. Yes, but in order for that to happen, the international community need to step up their game. They need to, to hold Israel accountable for uh, the atrocities that are being committed, the, the control that they've been exercising over the Palestinians' lives for the last, you know, more than 60, 70 years. That needs to stop. If you've got a bully and there's no one actually that's stopping from the bully from doing whatever they're doing, this is going to keep going forever. Nothing's going to change unless somebody steps up or steps in and say, well, no, enough is enough. This needs to stop. 
So again, my message is to the international community um, is, you know, you need to step up your game and actually act responsibly because it's not only the eyes of the Palestinian. You need to think about the, the eyes of humanity is they are losing faith in the international community and in all the international laws because in the end of the day, they are there to protect the powerful. So the question is, how many casualties do you know more do we need to see until we, we, we say or the international community says enough is enough? And also, are we as a global humanitarian citizens, are we going to let our leaders in government put money, greed and power above our civil rights and above humanity. That is basically what it comes down to. And I think everyone needs to be really careful because at the moment what your leaders are doing and leaders around the world are doing, what all of our leaders are doing, are undermining the very institutions that keep us all safe. Because if you undermine the Security Council, the UN, you cross those red lines as Israel's doing when it comes to civilians, when it comes to the rules of law, um, you're opening yourself up for a future that doesn't look very pretty. And New Zealand is as vulnerable as anywhere else. And so we do have to stand up and say enough is enough. You know, money goes so far, but we've lost, we have, we've lost our way. And I think it's time that we as people reclaim it back. Okay. I think we should probably end on that note. I want to thank you, uh, Katrina Mitchell-Kaltab and Anas Shatat for coming in to RCR and, um, and and talking about these things. It's been really interesting hearing what you had to say. We thank you from the bottom of our heart having us on because it's, it's very difficult to as Palestinians to have a voice in the media at this point. So we really, really thank all of you. And for those people who listen to the very end, we'd like to thank you so much for giving us your time and being open-minded to, to sit and listen. So thank you very, very much. Thank you, Paul. I second what Katrina said. Um, it's been a pleasure talking with you and um, to the audience. You know, just just look around, think with your heart and, and um, just pray for Gaza. Rational discussion, common sense, open debate. RCR, Reality Check Radio with Paul Brennan. As you know, here at RCR, we like to look at different sides of the story. That's what we've been doing with Israel-Palestine situation. A reminder that you can check out all our replays, which include multiple segments with hosts and guests putting forward the pro-Israeli perspective. I spoke to lawyer Natasha Hausdorff from UK Lawyers for Israel last Friday. And you can check out Rodney Hyde's long-form interviews with Dane Gerard and Ashley Church over at Real Talk. So, like I say... We're doing our best to bring you different perspectives so that you, the listeners, can make up your own minds. That's what it's all about. RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. Thank you for tuning in to RCR Reality Check Radio. If you like what you're listening to, just like what you're listening to. Either way, we want to hear from you. Get in touch with us now. You can text us with your message to 2057, that's 2057, or email us at inbox at realitycheck.radio. We would love to hear from you, so connect with us today.